Welcome to the EBC podcast, More Than Fitness. With a combined 50 years worth of experience and knowledge in the industry, we're going to have an open discussion on everything fitness and more. Hosted by myself, Wes, an EBC director, James Sweeney, a sports scientist and EBC director, Glyn Roberts, a former Royal Marine and EBC director, and Will Young, our online coach specialist and EBC instructor. Welcome back, guys, to the EBC podcast, More Than Fitness. Uh, full disclaimer, today's episode, we're going to be talking um, about mental health and specifically PTSD. Uh, we've got James, Glynn and Will here again. So we're going to go straight over to Mr. Roberts. I think the best way for us to start this conversation, like I say, it's going to be very flow. It's going to open up. Um, Glynn's going to lead it predominantly. Me and Sweeney are going to come in with bits and pieces throughout and we'll jump in whenever he can. We'll just look but I think to, add, to get everyone engaged and understand it, I think we need to add full context to your story, Glynn. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you the mic and just tell us about yourself, your story and where you are. <laughs> Let's go, mate. Where are you right now? Where are we right now? Where you are? Uh, so <laughs> I joined, so, yeah, we're talking about military career, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, so I joined the Marines in 2000 when you were how old? Two. How old are you? When you oh, how old are you when you joined? Two. Um, 19. In 2000. I started G7. What, 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 what month? <laughs> what month? You're roasting of me now. <laughs> <laughs> that, again. What month? Um, um, March. I was one. <laughs> I was one. <laughs> To put it in context, Will was one. Will was one years old. It's done, mate. It's absolutely done. Outstanding. No, so actually, 1st of May. 1st of May it was. Still one. (laughs) 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 Trying to squeeze another month out of one or so. Um, No, so I joined joined the military then and then um, completed uh, commando training 30 weeks later. It was 30 weeks back in my day. It's 32. In fact, I think it's even longer than that now. they have muskets, didn't they? That's what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Just to wear a like, gold tunic. <laughs> um, throw axes off ships and everything. So no, yeah, jo- joined, uh, uh, passed out of training in December um, as an original. I like to throw that out there, which is quite a big deal in the military, especially in the Marines. You join, I joined a 786 troop and the, the failure rate and everything is so high that if you, obviously if you fail anything physically or anything like that, you get back trooped. Um, and you don't realise it at the time, but when you're in training, you start to realise and understand that actually if you can get through all of this fucking shit out the other end in the same troop you started with, that's quite rare and that's quite an achievement. And the funny thing is when you get to a fighting unit, you actually get asked, were you an original? Because it gives you kudos. It means you've never failed anything. You know, you, you did, you passed everything first time, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, so I passed out as an original in December of 2000. Um, from there, you, when you're in Limston, you get at the end of training, when you pass out of training, you have to fill out a form and you, you can request what unit you want to go to um, or if you want to go on a course. This is back then. This is obviously a while ago. slightly different now, probably. And I completely fucked up my form because I was probably too excited the fact I've just passed training. And I didn't realise that I'd put in my first option to go as an, uh, a tanky, we call it, on an anti-tanks course. I, I don't know, I can't remember, I don't know how I fucked it up, but I, I got it wrong. I thought I put in for 40 commando, which I clearly didn't, because once they gave out your draft, they went, and tank course, and I was like, oh shit, so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go as a, into a fighting unit. And How'd that, that go down? Uh, what it is, I don't, I don't actually fancy I, that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
it's nothing to do with that. Get you it, it, the irony of it is, it's, it, passed, it paved the way for my life, didn't it? If I, you know, it's like everything's got a, a reaction, isn't it? So I, 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 whatever I did there to fuck it up, it's, it paved my way for now. If I hadn't have done that, it might be a different path that went on. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have gone to four five commander. I wouldn't have gone to Afghanistan. And then and so forth, but um, yeah. So I did. I went. Uh, I basically ended up staying at Limpston. Went on an anti-tanks course, which was a laugh, to be fair. Um, and some fucking how I came second on the course. Um, I don't know how I done that because it was quite a difficult course in a way. You had to like look at through binoculars of these tiny little models of tanks lied out of the table and and tell you exactly what tank it is. It's fucking ridiculous. But the fun of it was we were going shooting big rockets and stuff all the time. So that was good fun. Anyway. I digress. Uh, yeah, passed out, went to 4-5 Commando. Oh no, to, to backstory it a little bit, when I passed my course, <laughs> the top two of the course, I believe it was the top two, whatever unit you picked, you got to go to. So if I said, I want to go to 4-2 Commando, 40 Commando, you go, you've got, you go. You go wherever you want, because you're the top two of the course. I came second on the course. What unit do you want to go to? 40 Commando, I won't go to Scotland. Fuck knows I'm going to Scotland. Brilliant. Got a driver license? No, I just have a license revoked. Brilliant, you're going to 4-5 Commando. I was like, oh, gee, you're joking, because they were only taking people with a driving license to go to 40 Commando. So I had no driving license because I just had been banned. Yeah. So they sent me to 4-5 either way. So I lucked out on that one, didn't I? Uh, again, though, if I hadn't gone to 4-5, it would have been slightly different. Actually, yeah. uh, the one thing that always jumps out for me, honestly, this we started there like I forget sometimes that you were in the military and how long, how long ago it was it was a long time ago but like there's all that what is it on the way in is it 32 weeks on the way in 30 weeks it was for me 30 weeks so you, you get all that training all that exposure all that focus and then what was it on the way out when you left nothing I'll um, get to that that's crazy yeah. isn't it it's, it's just crazy in yeah. itself that, yeah. that, is, that is a way of looking at things Absolutely. yeah so I passed, I passed out I got the full fire commando um I, I like literally shit myself. I was certain that four or five commando still to this day has a reputation in the corps for being pretty hard <coughs> units, Scotland, Scottish and nails. Like everyone knows that. Uh, and it was, a, it was a, like, I got up there and I was more nervous probably walking through the, the gate of four or five commando than it was the training center first day. I was really nervous. Um, and then I got assigned to a Zulu company, which again had a really fucking dark reputation. And I was just like, oh Christ, you like little, 19 year old blonde bloke from uh, from Essex walking through the, 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 the doors of Zulu Company 4-5 and I was just like I'm going to get roasted which I did I won't go into that because it's dirt. definitely can't go into that on a podcast um, uh, and then um, months later nine, uh, we did loads of all we did spent all our time in mountain training running up and down mountains literally that's all we spent our time doing and then I got um, put on a 50 cal course which is basically everyone's seen the film Black Hawk Down with the massive 50 cal machine guns so I got trained how to use that um, and then um, yeah almost a year passed and then 9-11 happened and that was that's, that's when everything just took a massive turn you know because I'm pretty sure it's one of those incidents in life where everyone remembers you were using fucking kindergarten but everyone remembers where they were when 9-11 happened and for me, it was really surreal. Anybody that was in the military at that time, and 4-5 Commando were class of spearheads, so anything in the world that happened, they were the first to get deployed. Um, and I walked into my grot, your room, uh, my flat, um, and the telly was on, and it happened. I remember looking at one of the lads, and what movie are you watching? He went, they sent a movie, it's just fucking happened. And I was like, what? Then the whole unit, the atmosphere of the unit changed. Do you know what I mean? And then we got put on a notice to move. 
So we had to pack all our kit at the end of the bed. We were told we weren't allowed to leave camp for a, a certain period. I can't remember how long that was. Um, and then that got relaxed off a little bit. And then we, could, we weren't allowed to go further south than Carlisle. Don't know why. It must be a, a distance to travel type thing. Someone will probably maybe comment of why. I don't know. Um, and then that got relaxed again by another week. And then we could go home. And fucking sod's law, I'm at home. I'm in bed, I get a phone call, and it was, um, and you like, you need to get your ass back up to four or five now. I was like, oh, fuck's sake, all right. So um, me and one of the lads that I got friendly with, was a corporal, he was from Essex, and we, we jumped on the phone together, and we, we blagged an overnight train back up to Scotland, and uh, on a sleeper train, which is quite weird, never been a sleeper train before. Uh, you go to sleep on the train, ironically enough. Uh, got to four or five, and then that was it, kit packed. Um, got on a coach, went back down south. I mean, I could, they could have fucking met me down there with my kit, couldn't they? Jack. Um, could have met me down there, but they didn't. So I packed the kit, went back down there, um, and we boarded HMS Ocean, which was, again, was another surreal moment because you pull up alongside out of a coach and, you know, uh, back in my day, we didn't really spend a huge amount of time on a boat, even though we were the Marines. And I pulled up alongside the ship, and everyone was like, fucking Jesus, the size of that. That novelty wore off after about two weeks. That was boring. Been on that, we just train all the time, yeah. pot wash, get told off, throw eggs at each other, just get in trouble. And then, it, and you know, and then we th- th- sailed down the Suez Canal in a holding pattern um, down near Oman. Uh, and then it got really, it got really surreal when um, the Sark Major put, there was only two companies of full fire commander on the boat at the time. And he got everyone on the flight deck of the boat and he got us all into this like, and we got us lined up in three ranks and he just basically said, he was an ex-Falkland veteran, um, Ross Craig, absolute legend of a man. And he, he literally said, look at the guy next to you. He said, he won't come back from this. And the whole, the whole atmosphere of the, the boat changed. Everyone was like, fucking hell. If he says that, this is, and he's like, you better make your phone calls home. And you're like, shit. So I can remember, I remember ringing my mum and I just like, for some reason she's panicking, started going to me. She went, are you going to Somalia? I'm fucking Somalia. I'm like, no, I'm going to Afghanistan. She was like, oh shit. And then, you know, you go through this process of trying to adjust in your head and the atmosphere changes because then rather than dicking about training and just doing laps of the boat for the shits and giggles, it's like, right, we need training syllabus starts now. Yeah. We need to prep the weapons, prep the, prep the vehicles. And they did a, we did this really, it was quite a cool exercise. It was quite funny, actually. It was, well, it was funny and not funny. Like the Matlows, all the Navy guys started giving us shit and they were just being fucking dicks. Like you'd line up for Scran in the galley. One of the Matlows would be like, oh, enjoy your last meal. Well, one of them got thrown overboard. Like, it was just like, you don't say to a load of bootnecks and give them shit like that, you're about to go to war because they, they don't take it very kindly, do you know what I mean? So we, they basically, they, because one of our taskings was to go into the caves of Af- Afghanistan with like uh, night vision and clear the caves. So that's what we got told we were going to do. So that was like, fucking hell, that's going to be like fun. So they shut, they cl- turned all the lights off in the ship and put figure 11 targets, all these like wooden targets around the boat. And a lot of the Navy guys had to act as like um, um, hostage and stuff like that. And it came over the tannoy, like basically like, don't piss the fucking bootnecks off or they're going to fill you in because they're taking it seriously. So we had to go around in like teams of four, literally down the flight decks with the lights off and monocles on and clear, clear the flight decks. Like we were practicing doing cave clearance and then we were doing live firing off the back of the ship and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, mate, a quick, quick question for you while you're talking there. Like when you actually join, 
did you see yourself going into like active theatre no. and fighting? No. Did, did you, so you didn't. No. So when was the switch in mindset on that? Like when did when did it all become a bit real? Like when, when when Ross Craig said he's not coming back from this. Because it's totally different, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally different. Like it, it, yeah, I mean, you, the thing is, 9-11's happened. So you know something's going on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you knew we knew America were out there, like having a fight. And we knew America were taking casualties. We got told that all the special forces that there's um, a really famous battle that happened called Roberts Ridge. Um, and uh, that happens to be the ridge lines. A guy won a Medal of Honor, a Navy SEAL guy, because their Chinook got shot down. And this happened to be the ridge line that we had to go and clear on the first day. Um, but um, yeah, so we so basically we got we we got told we were deploying, and uh, and it was really surreal. It was like something out of a movie. So you, you know it, it, you see on the um, on these massive ships they have like a, a massive lift that comes up and they they load the aircraft and it comes up to the top of the deck. It was something like out of a Top Gun movie. We was all lined up, kit on, weapons, the whole lot, and this thing comes up like that, and everyone's just stood there staring at it, and you walk off thinking you're like something out of a fucking movie. It was quite surreal, really. And then, yeah, so you, you board the aircraft, we have to fly, fly to Oman, and from there we boarded um, C-130s. And, it, and, and this is when everything started to get really, when you knew it was getting really serious. Because at, at that time, you're thinking, all right, we know we're going to war, but... I don't know, it's a bit like, I don't know, I can only relate to like having a, a kid. Like, you know, your missus is pregnant, it's like, I oh, know I've got a kid, but when the kid's there, you're like, fuck, I'm a dad. Like, you know, it's, it, then it hits you. And when we land, we, we got onto um, the C-130, and we, as we're flying, you could only fly in at night, and the, and the more they're starting to say, the more you're thinking, fucking hell, this is quite serious, isn't it? They're like, we can only fly at night, because if we fly during the day, we're gonna get shot at. And you're like, okay, fucking hell. And 19, I'm 19 years old, do you know what I mean? And. Uh, so we landed and then someone come on and we landed with a load of, um, I think they were SBS lads and it was only a handful of us and SB lads and they, they literally said, any SF guys in here, you need to cover your faces because we're about to get off the aircraft and there's press everywhere out here. And whatever you do, do not walk off the runway because it's mined everywhere. And you're like, ah, this isn't an exercise anymore, is it? This is fucking quite serious. And, and those that are old enough to remember who Kate A.D. was, like she was like, do you remember Kate A.D., the war correspondent? Are you, are you remember Kate A.D.? Yeah. I mean, Please she, say yes. Didn't she get shot? So, I don't think so. Like she was like, any major war in the world, she was like always Yeah, I do remember, it. vaguely. And I remember walking off the, the, the ramp of the C-130, this is Kate A.D. reporting live, and I was just like, oh, this must be fucking serious if <laughs> Kate A.D.'s here. And there was press everywhere. And it was like, oh, everyone's, all these cameras going off. I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like, it was just really surreal. Do you know what I mean? And then we, we, we spent two weeks, this is in Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. And now Bagram for what I, well, obviously not now, but it would become a massive city. When I got there, like, there was nothing there. It was, we had to build, put all our tents up and they dug holes in the ground for shitters and all this kind of stuff. And because Bagram Air Base is at actually a really high altitude, so we had to spend two week, weeks of background doing loads of fears and training. And then we deployed for our first operation, which was, that's when it got even weirder. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's, you, can't, you can't really, um, you can't put it into context. It's just, the, it's the most surreal thing. It's like, if you're in the military and you're exercising, you're, you're on an aircraft, your weapon's never made ready. So it's never, it's never cocked with one in the chamber. But as soon as you step off, you make it ready. And I remember walking off the aircraft, making it ready, and I'm thinking, and I remember thinking, this for real. That's I've made that ready for fucking real. It's not an exercise anymore. Yeah. That's a that's real shit. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
And basically, we got a briefing that, um, uh, that a load of Amer uh, American SF had been <clears throat> hit, and the Chinook got shot down, which happened to turn out to be the Roberts Ridge. Um, so our first job was to go up to this area and clear the area where it was full of fucking Al-Qaeda um, and Taliban. So we, so we got this briefing that the Americans were... Ha we, literally, I remember it, they got to, we got told they were carrying about 100, 120 pound a kit. And they were walking for a certain distance and stopping and walking because the altitude. Obviously, people don't realise Afghans are very high mountain range. And so it's altitude sickness. So people were struggling. The Yanks were really struggling with it. So some bright spark was like me and my oppo had to pack a 50 cal machine gun, which is 185 pound. So my Bergen weighed 185 pound. So, you know, you load up 185 pound on your back and I couldn't even, I couldn't even stand up. So when you're sitting down on the size of a Chinook helicopter and you all know what they're like, the little seats mm -hmm. on the side, I couldn't stand up. Lads were pulling me up. And when, when, they, when the Chinook first <clears> landed <throat> on this ridge, um, the, the back end opened up and they were hovering. They didn't land, there was nothing. There. It was literally a ridge line like that and they're hovering the back end of it over. And the, the guys in the back of the Chinook wanted us off like fucking ASAP. Because like you just like you you've heard of Chinook they're like the flying yeah. bullet magnets they yeah. you can hear them coming a mile away and it's sitting there hovering like literally in the middle of a fucking mountain range in Afghan they didn't want to be there and they're like get off get off and I'm like mate I'm carrying a fucking house on my back give, give me wait one I'll get off in a second I'm waddling myself off this thing made my weapon ready and walked up this ridge line there's snow everywhere one of the, the lad in front of me just looked at me and just went look at that turn around to see this helicopter hovering. Or it just sitting there perfectly, and all the loud line of lads just walking off. And it's just weird, it's weird, you're like rabbing in the headlights, you're just literally looking around everything like that. It's well, just adrenaline, it's well, fucking mental. What a, what a TikTok reel that would have made. What's the crap? Do they, can they have phones? Like, what's the deal with that sort of stuff now? Hey, fucking hell. I didn't have cameras on my phone then. The Nokia 3310. Yeah, Snake. But I'm just saying, like, do you know what people like these days? Yeah, no. Our phones didn't have cameras back then. No, no, We literally, you couldn't have, because OPSEC, you couldn't have a phone with you anyway. No. So we made a phone call every couple of once a week, couple of weeks. Like, now though, so when people are out operational now, do they, what's the crack with phones and that? Do they just not flat not have them? I wouldn't, I know, I do know SF get told to leave their phones up in the UK, um, but I don't know about Mad. general like military, I don't know how that works. And when you, and when you got dropped off, was it, were you in small teams? Or was there like a few of you? Or? No, um, there was, there was um, no, it was just Zulu company at the time, I just my company. So we got, there was, so the, the, the tasking was, it, was, it sounds really cheesy, and it's like a search and destroy. So our tasking was to go and find these caves and, and basically get rid of them. Did you feel ready for that? At 19 years old, oh, oh, the training's second to none, right? Mm. Did you feel ready for that though? No, I, I don't think I don't, anybody you would. Can't, that. You can't mentally prepare for that. It's crazy because it was the way. It's 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 the it's like the escalation of it. It just you go from like I don't want to say plain soldier because you're just on exercise all the time. And and I know that the Marines are ex extremely well trained and they are really good soldiers, but until you do it for real, it's nothing like it. No. You know, because there's, there's, a, there's an, uh, a, the, it's your mindset changes. Because, you know, when you're on exercise patrolling for the woods, they're like, yeah, you've got to watch your enemy. And you're, look, you're walking around going like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing there's no fucker out there. Or even if there is a couple of blokes playing enemy, they can't kill me. No. You know, or they, they might go, yeah, I shot you. It's like, oh, cheers. Like, you know, and I, I, I don't, I'm being very facetious about it. Obviously, you do take training very seriously, but I'm trying to explain the difference between exercise and reality because in your head you're going every step I take I could tread on something here 
So I mean, every step I take could be an IED. Every fucking, every bearded bloke that runs around could be fucking Taliban. It's like a constant state of anxiety, isn't it? Yeah, which is, which is, which is one of the things that I talk about now is like, give everyone yeah, yeah. who wants to hear about the bullets and the bombs and the shit blowing up and this, that and the other. But what people don't realise is the constant state of anxiety mm. all the time. Yeah. And that's what was, and it was really weird. Like, so we went across this ridge line and we got to where it was and there was this, like, this Chinook that we found was burnt out. There was, um, there was a blood bag hanging, hanging there. There was a severed hand. There was a couple of bodies laying on the floor, like Taliban bodies. One was covered in bricks. And you're just like, ah, fucking hell. Like, it's just, it was just so much to like take in, like instantly. And then, and it was, it was I don't know, again, like I said, you're like, when you're on your exercise, you get in your sleeping bag, and you take your boots off and shit like that. But literally, you're in Afghanistan, up this mountain range, and you're in your sleeping bag with your boots on and your body arm, and you're hugging your fucking weapon like that with your helmet on your head. Because, and that's the difference between exercise and reality. Like, it's, 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 because you don't know what's coming. You're literally, you're so acute to everything that goes on, every noise. You can hear crack thumps of rounds going off in the distance. You're like, is that, is that coming this way? Or I've never had a bullet fly past my head before. Is it supposed to sound like that? Or is it, well, I know when it's really close. You know, you, it, there's just so much going in through your head. And then that just went on. And it was a six, six and a half month deployment. And that was physically the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Without question, physically hardest thing I've ever done. It's fucking brutal. So what you're saying as well, it's like six and a half months in a state of constant anxiety mm. and stress, isn't it? Yeah. You know, without there's no breaks, there's no because you're constantly, you know, up, aren't you? Your body's yeah. up. Waiting because even for when it. you come back to camp, you know, you <clears> can't, you know, you you get into bed at night and in the night like fuck me, they're mortaring us. You know, so it's just like there's, there's never a, a chill time, which is why you get this dark, this dark humour. Because that's the only way you can deal with it. Yeah. Mm. Because you'll be sitting there in your camp and suddenly, boom, someone outside of your perimeter stood on an, uh, an IED planted somewhere. You'd literally, every day, boom, you'd be like, oh, there's someone, and you'd laugh. Oh, there you go, someone else is at, at it. Someone else has just trodden on one. You don't know who it is, but someone's fucking set one off somehow. And it was going, it was constantly doing that all the time. And then it's like, right, like you're gonna get a, a, an, an operations brief and now we're gonna go on our next job. You know, and then you'd be flying around, suddenly the fucking helicopter banks really hard, all the fucking chaffs coming out the back because you're getting something shooting at you. And you're sitting there going, fuck, am I even going to make it to my next job? Do you think, like, the, the bravado side of it, to cope with it, like, as a coping mechanism, which obviously, you know, that's what developed because that's what it is. Mm. Like, I know you know some, some lads that are a little bit younger and that, that have been through it and, and been in and whatever. Do you feel like that's changed a little bit? And, it, and, and that, you know, that stigma's changed a little bit that it's not... Whereas when you were in, it might have been yeah, not spoken it's, about. Yeah, it's um, what as in like talking about your problems type thing. Yeah, as in like so you might make a joke about something that was quite dark, like you said. Do you feel mm. like that's changed now? Like that the people will openly talk a little bit. I more? think I, um, I think they try and they try and get people to talk about it more, but I don't think the lads are really doing much at the moment compared to what we did in my day. We were busy. Mm. Do you know, my, my, from two, sort of two thousand from nine eleven really all the way up to what. 2017, 18, I think it was the last deployment for the Marines and the British. You know, that's borderline, you know, what's that, 17 years of non-stop deployments. You know, so you've got, you've got a whole, like, generation of blokes that have just fucking Man. dealt with it differently, do you know what I mean? So I don't know how lads would deal with it now because I do think society's a lot softer. But there, you know? there's... there's you, sorry, go on, mate, go on. did you... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, did you do two tours? Yeah, Afghan So that was your first... Yeah. So how long was your first tour, sorry? Six and a half six, months. Yeah. Nick, were you back in the, U the UK 
or were you just on base in Afghanistan? Yeah, on base the whole time. And then we you... didn't get. We didn't get. Oh, okay. So normally you get an, uh, you get given a date for an R and R, which is like a two week break in between it. But we never got break. Oh, wow. There was no, so and then we never. Got, so we how never long got were you out day. there for? Pardon? How long were you out there for in total? Six and a half months. No, sorry, it was uh, five months, I think, actually in country, and then add on the top we was on ship as well. I think someone's going to listen to this and go, "No, your dates are wrong," but it, I think it was something like that. Wow. Um, but you did, we, didn't, we didn't get any R&R date so normally you get a two week period they send you home and you come back again to like yeah. get your head out of it which doesn't always work I don't think yeah, I was going to say like, if, you, if you did that I can, like, I can only explain that from my that's perspective so extreme yeah. of conditions isn't and it then, and then we didn't get an end date there was no end date for us in Afghan because it was just like you're just going to keep going until we're fucking done wow you know yeah. and then um, and then literally they said you're going home in a few days Like, and there's, I have photo, a photo of me laying in a sleeping bag, literally in the mountains of Afghanistan on a job, woken up in the morning, one of the, my oppos taking a photo, and I'm like, ah, massive smile, because that was the day I was going home. Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? And there's a photo of me just after in the helicopter, and it, honestly, I'm like this. I, I, the two contracts, I've got photos of me on jobs, and I look fucked. The, and this one photo, I'm like, ah. Because I'm going <laughs> just, home. Just going home. I'm going home. Yeah. Yeah. And that and then that yeah that was that was that for um for that period which was just a, like yeah it's a really surreal time which is fucking physically demanding really tough. So let's kind of delve into obviously taking yourself out of that situation and then coming back into civilization I guess how like how do you even transition that because you've you've been or you spent six months on a literally not knowing am I going to see the next day mm. how am I going to cope with this or like I say make jokes about people standing on IEDs and whatever how do you transition that into everyday life how do you even cope with something like that I didn't yeah that's the problem and no one tells you how to cope with it that is the major problem you know so if I you know I if you if you I mean Jim knows me from back then and, and I remember my dad saying to me once I was just not a very nice person to be around you know, I was scrapping all the time, went out drinking a lot. I remember he'd come back and you looked like a, you know, like Derrily triangles. Yeah. So he literally was just shoulders, like massive. He's really changed to be stacked. <laughs> I know. He was stacked. He was stacked. He <laughs> was absolutely stacked. Like, and we'd go out and literally, like, you were, you, you were up for it all the time. It's just, it's you were just up like, for like, just a hand grenade. And do you know what's really weird? Yeah, yeah. Like, I can remember being in the days of Duke's nightclub. And I can remember being out one night, standing on the balcony, looking down at the dance floor. I vividly remember it. Fucking hating everybody in the club. Mm. Hating everyone. Resented them. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I remember looking at everyone, having a really good time, thinking, you've got no fucking idea what I've just been up to. That's not anybody's fault. But I didn't know. I was 19, 20 years old. I had no idea to, how to understand that. Yeah. But I just, I, I resented and hated everybody there. You know, if you looked at me, you looked wrong. I'd th- I remember hanging one bloke over the fucking balcony of the club because he looked at my mate wrong. Do you know what I mean? You're just on a hair trigger, but you, you there's, you, I don't know, there's no other way to explain it. You don't know how to deal with it. So, so he was, I might mean, just my side of it from what I observed, right? Because we were, obviously been mates for a long time. So he'd come back off of a tour, like stacked, like, and literally up. He was like, anybody looked at him funny or anything like that, he was just well up for it which is not right or wrong, but that's the kind of... Because two days before, he's in an environment where people are trying to chew at you and you're the enemy. And then two days later or 48 hours later, mm. he's, in, he's in Chelmsford in a club. And you can't just switch that off, can mm. you? Because that's how you're trained. Mm. That's what you've been dealing with for the last six months. But none of this was spoken about and there was no... 
there was no name for any of this, was there? What, what it sort of goes into, and I think, like, there's definitely some sort of obligation to start dealing with some of this stuff. You shouldn't... I don't, to go from, like, an environment like that and, a you know, a fighting arena like that mm. and then be back home in two days, there's no, like, cooling-off period, is there? Nothing. No. Like, which doesn't help, does it? No, it doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. They don't. They don't. No one teaches you any of that. It's just. It's a very. It's a very surreal thing to deal with, and it's. It's. You don't. No. It's just. I, I don't even think anybody. Anybody knew how to deal with it because let's get it right. Pre nine eleven, we'd had Northern Ireland, right, and no one ever fucking spoke about Northern Ireland. As we all no, know, no. a lot of people got fucked up from that. You had Gulf War one. They called it Gulf War syndrome, right, which is basically PTSD. No one really knew. No one, it didn't have a label like, and I'm glad it's spoken about more now, but also I do think it's so spoken about now, people label it on everything, mm. right? Do you know what I mean? Um, and they, no, no one know how to deal with it. Like when I, when I went to Iraq, one of the lads that was, it was in my company at the time, I think it was the day we were deploying, left a note on his bed and he went, sorry lads, I can't go back. He went AWOL. You know, like, and everyone, and all we did was took the piss out of him. We were like, a oh, fucking beefer, what's wrong with him? Like, but deep down, we're all going, you yeah, know, no, no, no one wants to go fucking back to that, do they? But you didn't, no one, no one spoke about it. Like, my, my good mate Rob, you know, I, I, I still stick to this day, um, I can vividly remember, and I happened to, you know, long story with him, but I happened to be in the same unit as him, and we ended up deploying to Iraq together. And I've known him since I was 16, and I remember a few days we looked at each other. And where you give you that each other look where you're just like, oh, fucking knackered. But no one said anything. Mm. No one said anything. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Sure? Yeah. You all right? All right, okay, you wanna to go to the gym? Yeah, all right. That's how you dealt with it. It's just, you're just seeking adrenaline yeah. to, deal with the, to deal with the issues, do you know what I mean? Well, so, obviously that's like sort of early 2000s, wasn't it? Mm. Wasn't it? So, the PTSD side of it, what do you think it looked like for you? When did you start to think, well, that's not, you know, my response to that's not right. Like, what did it, what did it start to look like? Yeah, like Realisation. That kind of sits in your mind and goes, yeah, that's not good. Um, so I, I cut off anything military for quite a long time after I left. Like, I wouldn't have told you where my Green Beret was. I, I didn't have a clue where my medals were. My uniform was in a loft somewhere. I couldn't give a shit. I didn't mm. deal with it. And then what the... Um, I've spoken about this once before, and the the, the thing it was it was weird. So Ross Kemp was did a TV show, didn't he? he? Was out with the military quite a lot, and I believe it was Ross Kemp, and he was out with my old unit, Forty Commando, um, and um, there was a lad on there called Paul Vice, and um, and in this particular episode, they were following his unit, my old unit, around, and. Uh, interviewing him and stuff and he said this really poignant thing and he said I've done how many tours he'd done by that point five six or something and he said it's you come out here enough times it's, it's not if you get hit it's when you get hit mm -hmm. and then the screen paused and it said the next day Vice stood on an ID and I remember that like it was yesterday and it hit me really hard and I've never understood why it really because because I served in the same unit as Vicey, it, I don't, it, it was like, I felt, then it really hit me that, why did I leave? Maybe I should have stayed. And I never, I never really understood why. I think it was, it was, it was kind of like a survivor's guilt type thing, do you know what I mean? And it, like, Vicey's a, a, around, but he's lost a, a leg. 
and got hit through the throat, lost shrapnel through his neck. And, um, and he, I think he knows about this story because he messaged me once on social media, but that was the moment where things started to make a little bit of a downhill. It was like it triggered something in my head. Sorry, did you say you feel a bit guilty about it? For not... I don't think I'd use the word guilty, but it, it, it started to make me really think hard. But maybe you should have... Like, should have stayed in. Right, okay. Yeah. And right. I don't know, really know why, but his accident made me start going, I should have stayed in. Because he was the first guy that I really knew that had been seriously injured. And, it was, and I just did... It was, I remember it sitting on my sofa and I remember sitting up, staring at the telly like that, Texting mates, fuck, is that what the fuck's happened to Vicey? But like, and it really, and, it, and then after that point, that's when my life started to sort of take a bit of a dark hill spiral. And then I started to really, like, um, just sort of regressing myself. And then it was Jim that was the one that really said to me, you know, and I ended up going through a divorce and stuff. And Jim was like, you're the one, you need to speak to someone. And I was like, no, no, I'm just fucking divorcing it. It's a bit shit. <laughs> And he's like, and I remember him going, that runs deeper than that, mate. There's something deeper than that. I, I just felt like, for, I, and again, I observed some of the, some of we, we spent a lot of time together putting, putting bits together. There was a, there was a period where we put a, an obstacle course together up in, up in Suffolk and we, we were on an old airbase. <clears throat> and some of the things that you were doing, I didn't feel like some of the things that you were doing weren't coming from now. They were mm. coming from a little bit right later on. The one that always jumps out for me was we got, we got up early one morning and you were like, fucking hell, mate, I fucking sweats last night. I went, what do you mean? He went, and it, I've turned to look at him. I was, I was like, I can't remember what I was doing. Probably, I sure, probably had the kettle on or something. I turned to look at you, and you were like, you jumped in a swimming pool. Mm. I thought you'd got in a shower. I went, mate, what's the, what's the crack with that? And you were like, oh, I'll get the night sweats. And in my head, I'm thinking, what can that be? Mm. What could, do you know what I mean? Like, that was the first thing that well, I remember I just, thinking to myself. I, that, see, that happened, my, <clears> that started, I started getting night terrors after Afghan. And I didn't. I'm one of these people that are just like I deal. I just deal with it. You cuffed like, it off. It's a military cut, like totally just crack on. Do you know what I mean? Just crack on. That's just my mindset. Like if something happens, just get on with it. You know, if, if there's something something shit happens, just get on with it. And I started to get these night sweats. And I remember waking up when I was based up in Scotland. Like fucking, I, used to, I had to go to this routine every single night. I'd like I'd get into bed, I'd lay a towel down in my bed, and then have another towel next to me because I'd wake up in the middle of the night flip the duvet over, take the towel off, lay another towel down, because I'd be so fucking wet. But I never, <laughs> I never sat there and thought, oh, maybe it's because of that. I just was like, well, I didn't even know what it was. It just, but that went on for years. And then yeah. when I remember I was, I was with an ex-girlfriend, and then I, I remember her um, being in there at sleep at night, and then the door, a door would slam really loud, the door would be like that, fucking hell. Do you know what I mean? Like jumping, and like from a loud bang, and I couldn't, I never... I never once sat there and just went, I've got a problem, I've got to deal with it. You know what I mean? You just bury it. Just park you, just, it you just park it, just sweep it yeah. under the carpet like, and just crack on. And, and, and that went on for years. And then, you know, and, um, and it was like, you remember you saying to me once, like, we'd go to a job and I wouldn't get out of the van to go to, to work and stuff like that. And, you know, little things started to happen. And then uh, my ex at the time was like, you know, maybe you need to speak to someone and gave me a leaflet to do with mental health. And, I, you know, I used to tick all these boxes and I remember ticking, they're going for this questionnaire thing and like, at the end of it is like, <laughs> you, you might need to speak to someone. And I was like, get bollocks. You know, that kind, of, that kind of mentality is like, nah, that's bollocks. It's a, it's a massive deal to it. be mindful enough to think, actually, my response to that probably is not where it should be. Mm. That's massive to be able to do I that. always explain it, it's like being an alcoholic. <clears throat> Put your hands up and going, I'm an alcoholic. Because they're not going to do anything about it until they openly admit to themselves 
that they have a problem. Mm. And it's the same with PTSD. You can't, you can't just suddenly go, ah, oh, I've got a problem. It doesn't work like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, other people are going to notice it more. And if you, if you feel it in yourself, the way I explain to people now is you have to, you have to try and talk to someone about it, but it's very hard, because I used to spin stories on spin dits and stuff like that, but you're spinning a story to someone, a civvy friend, that's got no fucking idea what you're going through. So you're like dramatizing it and humanizing it and not making it all funny. Yeah. But in deep down, that's a real story you're going through. But when you spin that story to a lad that's been through similar, that story has a different perspective on it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. You know? You didn't, you didn't really to talk about it that much. Like, I think you talk about being in Marines, but I can count on probably one hand the amount of times you actually referenced stories and no, stuff that you've been through that were a bit. And the, the one, the, the one of the only sort of like times you used to go through it was when we went up to, you know, that airbase, and you were like, "Oh, it's like being, you know, back in military dig or something." Mm. So maybe that used to sort of like prompt you to talk about it. Yeah. But very rarely you used to talk about being in the Marines, but nothing specific. And that yeah. used to that used to come out, I think. But the other thing is as well, like we're talking early, early sort of you know two thousands here. No one was talking about. There's a stigma attached to all this stuff. Then no one was talking about any like you know like PTSD. It, there was no PTSD. You know, there was no label for it, was there? No. So that wasn't, you know, it wasn't openly spoken about, was it? No, no. But no one did. The military certainly wouldn't fucking talk about it. It's just like it's a, it's a big boy's world, isn't it? Like you're you're a marine, you're fucking nails, and you know you you don't talk about that kind of. You can't no, show weakness. You don't do that. No, fuck no, dear bollocks. You know, like. Jesus, lads would get letters coming out to Afghanistan saying their other arse had just left them or something like that. And, you, you know, that bloke probably wants one of the lads to be like, do you want to go put the kettle on a quick chat about it? Yeah, yeah. massive, yeah. They'd be like, oi! Like, just give you shit. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't make it any better. They'd just give you neat shit, like neat shit. Ah, she's probably been with the rugby club anyway, mate. Like, because that was the dark humour of how it was dealt with, yeah. you know? And that's why you just, you have this dark humour ingrained into you even still to this day. So fast, fast forward to now, and it's obviously a lot more acceptable. It's got a name, which is of benefit, obviously. Mm. And obviously, it's a lot more openly spoken about. It you... is, but it's still hard to, it's still hard to comprehend, <clears throat> and I still don't like it now. Because um, even though it's, like, it's easy for... Like, it like, I got told once that... It, like, how can I explain it? The problem with people accepting that there's, they've got PTSD, in particular people that have not lost any limbs it's that's hard to accept because you look in the mirror and you go why the fuck have i got a problem my mate has got no legs he's got a problem he seems all right mm. what why why and that seems to get into your head because that really used to bother me you know like there's lads out there with no arms and fucking legs and you know there's what have i got a fucking bitch about do you know what I mean? Do you always feel like it's almost like being an imposter? Yeah, almost. yes, yeah, you do. Because it's, but I got told trauma's trauma, whether it's physical yeah, or mental. But, yeah. You know? And that's what I say to but people. But to get now. to that point, you'd have had to have probably gone through a lot of stuff yeah. to fully understand that now for yourself. So, was there a specific, like, what did you do to go and get help? Like, so, I, I spoke to two counsellors originally. Um, I don't know, I, I think I very flippantly was a bit like, right because I was basically almost living off sleeping tablets at one point. Um, and and um, just like, at just not being my normal self, do you know what I mean? Like, and it, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to talk about, but it, it was a, I just knew that at some point, all right, maybe I better go speak to someone. But I didn't really want to. I thought, all right, I will. 
and I did, and I was I was not into it in the slightest. I can vividly remember my first session, and like, and she sat there, this woman's talking to me, and she dealt with military people in the past and all this, and I was just like, yeah, yeah. Was that, mate? Was yeah. that was that was that where you were, or do you think it was just not a good fit for you for the counsellor? I do saying? think it's a bit of both. I think you need <clears> to find a counsellor you can you can relate to, mm. but I just think I, I was in complete denial with it. Like didn't, and then I went and spoke to. I remember driving all the way. I think it was Loughton or Epping somewhere to speak to this other one. I can't remember how I got recommended her. Similar situation, just sitting, I'm just staring at, just going, yeah, yeah, just thinking this is fucking bollocks, isn't it? The the process, mate, as well. Like, so when you thought to yourself, well, you know, I better talk to someone. That ground you travelled and that process, like, how long do you reckon you're looking at a timeline on that? Ten years. Yes, it's around about ten years. It's not like a quick fix, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and do, like a lot of that, do you feel like a lot of that's been you processing what's been going on? And, and I don't think I processed anything because if you if you if you if you jump back a little bit to how I left the military, is what I then found out, which is one of the biggest things that completely screwed my head up, was I was in I, I'd I'd given my notice to leave. You have to give a year's notice to leave, and in in that period, I'd been deployed to Iraq. And Iraq was, in a way, it was very different to Afghanistan for obvious various reasons. But the other thing about Iraq was that you were governed by a lot of rules of engagement. Well, yeah, disclaimer, you're governed by rules of dis- the rules of engagement everywhere you go. But Afghanistan was very aggressive, whereas Iraq at that particular time was very different. So if you got shot at and then they put the rifle down, you couldn't do anything about it because then our class is unarmed. You know, there were so many rules that you had to follow. And it was like you drive around into uh, Basra and you're just like a fucking sitting target, constantly getting fucking like IEDs going off. They'd hide IEDs and dead bodies of dogs and stuff like that. And you'd be driving down the road just fucking waiting to be shot at. You're just like constantly <coughs> moving target for them. And it was like they used to say to you, any vehicle, don't let any vehicle come in, in your convoy. Never let a vehicle come. Oh, fucking vehicles coming in your convoy all the time. So you're like, well, what, what do I do? Shoot this bloke in the face? Because he's now coming between my convoy. Do you know what I mean? And then we'd, you'd get into, get into a job and they'd be saying, like, they'd be counting rounds when you got back in again. Like, you know, did you use too many rounds in that firefight on this kind of bullshit? It was just... It was the, and then you know, that just got ridiculous. And then for me, I remember my site major coming up to me and he said, well, you go home. You know, I think it was a few days or a week's time. I was just like, all right, that's a bit fucking sudden, isn't it? It's like, yeah, your time's up. And the military's so black and white. Like, I'm in Iraq... I'd been in Iraq for four and a half months, maybe five months, I think, something at this, this point. So when, you, when they said your, your time's up, as in you were leaving? Yeah, I was becoming a civvy. And that, and that was that? That was it. As, bl- as blank they as went, that? Yeah, you get a flight in a few days' time. I literally flew home, and this is how black and white it was, and I never realised until years down the line that this really screwed up my head, was the fact that I, I literally was in, Af- in Iraq, sorry, and then 24 hours later, 48 hours later, say, no, 24 hours later, I'm handing my kit back in into the, the 40 Commando, literally, give your ID card back. You go and see some fucking duty spog officer that's in an office, he just like sits there with these documents, he's never met you in his life, signs a bit of paper, yeah, you're in civvies, yeah, thank you for your service. Thanks very Get much. Get that and I drove out the gate. And I was just like, that's what crazy. the fuck do I do now? I think, like, giving that and amount like, of time... Literally, you go from Iraq to walking the streets of Chelmsford in 24 hours, 48 hours. And they wonder why it kicks off. And then they went, you've got 12 weeks leave, do what you want. 
Because you, you you accumulate potholes for post-operational toilets. You accumulate the amount of time you're right, you get time back. So I accumulated time off from being in Iraq, and they give you. I think it's four weeks. So if you it's like a, a date called a TX date, which is the official date. You're now like you stop being military and you're a civvy. You get four weeks up until that point. I think it's four weeks, and then you get your potholes added onto that. So I had like twelve weeks of. Did you like, get no lads? They're still in Iraq. Just like around. I know they're still out there, and that's bothering me because they're out there. Do you know what I mean? I'd like, what the fuck do I do? Did you get any support at all from oh, the Fuck all. Nothing. 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 I remember watching a. It that's was on. Right. It was on the news mm. once, and a guy had gone through. I think. I think he'd lost a limb. This guy was in the military, and basically he was on the news, and he was talking about coming out of the military, and basically how you get little to no support whatsoever. And he would, he'd basically proven, so he'd taken a load of lads and done some sort of, I think they'd gone, they'd, they'd gone to, they'd either summited something or gone to a pole, I think. Mm. And he'd proven that a good way to, you know, assimilate back into Civvy Street was to take an ex-military, you know, an ex-soldier or something that had been in, in the military on an adventure. And that helps with giving them purpose. Yeah. And he was like, so we've proven that, that works. But the problem is that's going to cost 15 grand per person. So that squashes it straight away from from a finance point of view. So some of the research and that's been done to help, but it all comes down again to money, doesn't it? And you think it's crazy to think that you've gone all that training, all that experience, and on the way out you get nothing. Makes yeah, no not, sense. Literally, you don't get anything. Makes no sense at all. It's just it's like it's, the whole thing is baffling me. So there's, I mean, there's no way you can prep yourself for going to war. There's just no ways until you're there, and then when you leave, it's like, yep, yeah, cheers, catch you later. Yeah, nothing like that. That is. Baffling that just there's not like piece. an exiting. Like when we come back from when we come back from Afghanistan, it was really weird because we flew back into Glasgow Presswick, and um, and um, the the defence secretary was there, and it's weird. I've never seen anything like it. This is, and again, this 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 was. I've processed this now, but it was hard for me. We we landed in Glasgow, and there's there's everyone gets off the aeroplane. It's like you can imagine what it was like. You've probably everyone's probably seen it on social media and stuff. Everyone gets there's banners fucking up everywhere. You know. The British haven't been to a proper war like that for quite a while, and we're, we're just we're the first unit to come back from it. We walk into the airport, and there's mothers and family greeting everybody, and all this kind of stuff. And there was no one. I was the only one that walked out of the airport, with no one there. Do you know what I mean? That was that was really hard. I just walked. Everyone's cuddling kids and family and mums and dads, and I walked straight over to a separate check-in desk and went, "Can I get a flight to Stansted, please?" That burn. And I flew. It? I flew back home to Stansted. Got a. a I got a bus from Stances back to my, I was at my mum's house at the time and just walked through the front door and went, all right. How did you process crazy. that? That's crazy. And she was like, yeah, you're, you're, you're. I, I, I can't remember her reaction, but it wasn't, I, I, I don't think it was particularly like, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like, woo. But the thing is, it'd be anybody, I think, would like, you can, there'd be resentment in that. Mm. The, the, your, the way you've come back into the country on its own, without any kind of like recognition or anything. Not that you want recognition, but... No, it wasn't about a, recognition. But, 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 but to get some, like, a debrief, yeah. like, on what's gone on and decompress a little yeah. bit, that's just crazy. Yeah. And to think that, that that's happened that many times, you yeah, know? Yeah, I know. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, you don't know how to... You just don't know how to process it. No. Did, did you feel like a bit of... Res, you must have felt a bit of resentment. So what's who? What, what you've gone through. Um... No, I did. I did when I, this is the problem. I did when I come back from Iraq. I didn't. I was older. So I mean, when I come back from Afghanistan, I didn't know any different. I just thought this is the way it was. You know, I just, I just thought this is just the way the game is played. I didn't know any different. 
That's mad. You know, but there's a lot of blokes that go through that same process. No one understands how to deal with it. No. You know? Um, and it's not until years later, as you get older, I think maturity comes in, you should start to process it a little bit, you know, and learn to deal with it and accept certain things and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was really hard to deal with. I didn't know, to, I didn't know what to do, just didn't know what to do, you know? If you, I mean, if you fast forward as well, like a little bit, a little bit more when you were going through the counselling, you know, and then obviously I can't remember how we got introduced to Rock to Recovery, but obviously they're a fantastic I found out about them, so organisation. Yeah, I found out about them and they were good. They were brilliant because they coached, coached me. And one of the things that I learned through Rock to Recovery is that I, I struggled with fight and flight. So I, I couldn't, I, I was on one extreme or the other. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you flick a switch, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Do you know what I mean? Or I'm completely the opposite. I couldn't balance the two. And that's because I, that, from what I learned as I never had a chance to, to, to kind of balance it out when I left. There was no, that, no decompression. I was literally from being full on to being at home completely sitting on my ass doing nothing, literally nothing. Were you like that before you were in the military, do you think? What's that? As, as a, like, were, you, were you like that before you, know, you went into the Marines? As oh, a, I was when a you were younger, active kid when I was in every fucking sports club going. Oh, I was a duty jock of the year. But like, were you kind of like? Do you feel like that? You maybe learned that from what you what you what you went through in the Marines, like that all in or just nothing? Do you um, think that was learned, or do you think it was already I there? I think it's probably a part of my yeah. Because <clears> when you go for counselling, a lot of the time they you always think this. Oh, my issues comes from that. Well, actually, a lot of it doesn't. A lot of it stems even further than that. Of course, always. Yeah. Everybody's always deeper. But then that just escalates it or elevates it to another level. So I, I like you know, if I look at anything that I'd ever did sporty, I was always all in. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You put me into a sport club, I'm all in. You know, I was always very good at sport. You know, you know, martial arts, everything. I always achieved very high levels at every sport I went into. So I was always all in. But then I just never understood that massive drop off on the other side of it. You just who how, who's going to know how to deal with that yeah. unless you get taught it or told it or. You know, when you go home, you might feel like this. You might, I mean, they might do it different now. I don't know, but for me, it was nothing like that at all. Is, even from See like, you later. even from like a purpose point of view, like when you're you're in the military, you got you got a purpose every day. You you get up and you got you got a job to do and whatever. As soon as you come out of that, you're just like, well, I don't do that anymore. Mm. And even that transition back out. Well, that's really common. That's huge. A lot of sportsmen get that. And a lot yeah. of people that say work in the city, they've been in a team of guys working in the bank or, you know, that that kind of level. You you know. You once you leave that, you you feel like you've lost something. Yeah, yeah, that's the part of you, haven't you? Yeah, when you come out, you know, you um, um, you've lost your identity, and, and especially when you're at a very elite level of something. And I'm not taking that away from guys that work in the city and all that kind of or any job, any job that work in the team and all that. But when you're when you're you spent your a, a long time building yourself up to get to this extremely high elite level in the military, and then you get to go to do play the game that you are supposed to be doing, you know, that you train for, and then suddenly it's all taken away from you with not even a phone call a week later, how are you doing? Like, literally from one extreme to the other, you yeah, can't get tough. any further from it. That's tough. How do you, how do you, you process that? You probably that? start getting a bit angry with it, like, well, where was my value? Do they even care? I was an angry little person at one point. I don't think you're angry. <laughs> you think <laughs> you're a cuddly you teddy bear? more of a lack of purpose because you didn't really have a lot of life experience before you actually went in? Probably. Yeah. I didn't have any life experience when I went That's in. what I mean. Like none. Do you know what I mean? I went from college. What did I do in college? Get pissed. Didn't do a lot. Went to Jukes a lot, and then you join the military. You know, it's it's a completely different uh, different thing. So, yeah, it's um, 
if I, I've, I've, I've learned to deal with it now, but, but for me, like the biggest, the biggest turning point for me and, and, and when I really fully sort of um, delved into de dealing with it was when uh, I reconnected with a load of other bootnecks again. That was it. You know, so when I, uh, like Dean and Will, all those, got all those boys, so I, I, I don't know what it was. I saw them on social media meeting up in London doing like training together. And it, I don't know what, what made me think about doing it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go and, I'll go and do that. I don't mind doing a bit of fizz. And got chatting to them and then ended up doing like, like, like um, competitions, phys like, uh, not physique competitions, fitness competition with them. And you felt accepted again. You know, and that was that was that was really enlightening. And the the moment that really was a massive turning point for me was we finished this um, uh, NFG competition, and I felt I was really nervous about going into this because the the lads in the team had been winning every competition around the country. Fucking hats off to them, animals, right? And then they invited me into their team. Do you want to be in the elite category? I was like, lads, listen, I'm ten years older than you lot. You know, and they were like, no, 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 you'll be all right, you'll be fine. Great compliment, right? Whatever. Did the competition. And uh, and that night we went out and got fucking smashed. And I was got chatting to this guy in this bar and he started talk, asking me about Afghanistan. And all I could, I, I was so drunk, all I remember was welling up in this club. And I'm just like, and I remember standing around, all, these, all the other lads were stood there and I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 this is not a fucking good time now. You've triggered me. And I don't know why you've triggered me, but you've, you've broke me. Excuse me. And one of the lads I was with, Dean, he'd been in, when he's torn Afghan, he got hit by an IED. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I've got no fucking right to be whinging about whatever's going on in my head. He fucking got hit by an IED. What, what right have I got? And I remember this, and I remember walking out of the bar to a balcony and I was really welling up, like really struggling to hold it in. And I, can't, I don't know, recall at all what the bloke was asking me or what stories I was spinning. But then Will and Dean walked out of the balcony towards me and they just looked at me and I, you know, you just think, oh, fucking hell, come on, like man up here. I'm, I'm like the older one of the group. I can, <sighs> they just walked out to me and you're right. And I just went, <laughs> and then they just cuddled me. And they, were, and they were so fucking chilled when they just went. And I was expecting them, my God's honest truth was, I was waiting for them to go, oh, fucking grow up and like, don't be a beefer, let's go get a beer. And that's what I was expecting them to do, but because that was my, that was all I can recall, but they didn't. Like straight away, Will and Dean cuddled me and just went, just let it out. And that made me even worse. Like I fucking proper broke down then. And they were like, you're not, you're not the only one that feels like that, mate. And that was like a massive weight got lifted off my shoulders. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, fucking hell, right? It's not just me then. And they just, they literally squeezed me like I was their child. Yeah. It makes me feel a bit emotional talking about it now. They were brilliant. And then after that, I was just like, right, now I need to go and speak to someone. Like, I need to take this seriously now because I'm this, like, it's clearly fucking in here in my head. Yeah. You know, I'd be on, a, I'd, I'd go and meet up. And then I, it was weird. It's like for a, a period after meeting up with them and doing that competition, every time I used to speak to them on the phone or I'd go and see them, I'd get emotional. It's because I had this reconnection with them again. Yeah. It was really surreal. And then, I, then that's when I was like, well, I need to go and fucking deal with this now because clearly there's something really deep in there that keeps coming out now. You know, it's like I've, once I've reconnected with the boys again, and bearing in mind I didn't even serve with them, it's just the fact that when I spoke to them, they could understand. They've been through it, yeah, yeah. They could understand, yeah. And then do, do you feel like, so that obviously 
you know, open the doors a little bit if you yeah. start talking about it. Do you feel like you talking about it helped them as well? Yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely, I think so. Because there's a trust thing there, isn't yeah, there? 100%. And then, you know, like you're saying as well, the shared shared experiences but and that's what blokes safe. are like though isn't it it's like you go we go into the city now and you speak to guys and like I've said this conversation recently we've had I know we've had these meetings and they get these mental health workers that are in the offices which is a really good thing they're doing that but no one's going to go and speak to that mental health worker unless that mental health worker goes I'm having a really shit day anybody want to join me for a cup of tea yeah mm. it took me to break down like emotionally like really fucking like like a bubbling child for them to turn talk. And then Dean opened up about his story. And then I remember doing a post in the one that I sent you on social media. And then I had messages from lads that I served with going, thank you for your for that. I'm now going to go contact what to recovery. And I'm like, ooh. But the thing is, mate. Like, fucking hell, that's done something. Yeah. Yeah. But it, what, what I mean is if you work in the city and you're mega stressed out and you're having a really shit day, you've had a massive fucking row, you've got bills to pay your kids to wine and you're up, you're not going to go ring up your mental health aid worker that's done a two-hour fucking course and go... Can I have a chat? I'd be. They're not going to do it. They need. They need someone that shows their vulnerability to then to show theirs because that's what blokes are like. Yeah. Mm. You, you can't. I mean? You can't fake that either. I don't think. I mean, you, you kind of. There's a. There's an honesty to it, isn't there? Yeah. And I think like when you sort of so when you talk to you know when you talk about it, there's a real genuine honesty to what's what you, what you're feeling. What you, and you can see it on you. Yeah. And I think people respond to that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I mean, that's that's like huge, absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, it's been a journey I know that massive and it, like I said it's, it's sort of 10, 15 years in the making mm. for you as well like in that it's not been a quick fix in any way shape or form is no, it? No, I, I, still, I, still, I still have night sweats you know I, there's still things like you know like we, it's, you, it's like it's weird things that, you, that can like can bring back memories and it's like <laughs> the other day I was in the literally a few days ago I was in the gym and one of the lads was playing random like music when he was training his client in the studio and he played um the last post and anybody knows the military song the last post and like i sat there and i just it was weird i went into a zone and, and literally two of the lads like glenn glenn like that and i just went oh fucking hell because the song reminded me of of took me back music's got a funny way of doing that though, it's, it was music's really weird it's like if i hear a chinook helicopter because we'd used them a lot in Afghanistan and it, that distinctive noise, like instantly, it puts you straight back to being picked up by one, hmm. you know, things like that. And that's, that's the only way I can explain it. And you say music, like we all do it. You hear a tune that you really like and you might go, fucking hell, that song reminds me of. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is with PTSD and, and everyone deals with their PTSD differently. It's not, it's not like literally black and white for everyone. But that's what that. What, that's the only way to explain. That's what it's a bit like. It's a little bit like you hear a song, and it brings you back straight away. I can watch a movie, and I remember texting my 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 coach, my real coach, right? And I was like, I've just watched this film, and it was in Afghanistan about a Chinook that got shot down. A load of SF guys get fucking killed, and people go and help them. And I was like, it literally took me straight back to my first job in Afghan that I spoke about earlier, and it and it, I just remember sitting there crying. And my missus, like, didn't know... She was like, oh, I don't know what to do here. Do you know what I mean? Like, give me a cuddle and stuff. But it, that's... Which is, a, which is lovely, but you can't get your head out of that space. It's because it takes you straight back. The coach the coach you're working with, is that still from Rock to, Rock to Recovery? Kenny, yeah, fucking legend. For, and for those that don't know, Rock to Recovery, Glim made contact a while back, and obviously they provide support and counselling for ex-military personnel, and they've delved into 
emergency Blue services. Yeah, yeah, emergency so they, they were set up well. by Foxy from the TV show, who's obviously ex Marine and SF. Yeah, fantastic. And Jamie Sanderson, who's an ex SF, um, uh, bootneck sniper, um, and they set it up together. And it was and it, initially it was set up just to help Marines, and then it went from all to then they started to get a bit more money funding. It's all self funded, which is why we do the the fundraising stuff. And then they managed to go to all military, and then it was all blue light services. They awesome. have raised hundreds of hundreds of thousands a year. Um, to, and you know to the council but it's all free to the military and their families you know and they are coaches they don't you know I've had councillors that just go oh tell us your story today then you're like oh what it is and they're like oh lovely how do you feel about that you just think oh coaches. yeah no. No, that didn't work for me no. that doesn't work for me you're just venting I'd rather ring up my mate and save myself £100 an hour yeah you know Oh, they're a fantastic organisation. Yeah, I think, brilliant. From what you know, from what your experience and, yeah. and some of the other guys that have been been through it, but mm. absolutely off the clock. And obviously, we're still doing bits and pieces mm. with them. Yeah. You know, like and um, that they, they, so they've gone into like police and fire services yeah. as well now. All, all, all public services now. And all you, you and pay, families. Yeah, right, all you care with their families as well. Yeah, That's brilliant. another thing as well. Like to notice, like it is going to affect like family units. It's not just yeah. going to be. You know, it's your effects on your mm. kids and that's absolutely huge. But yeah. like, looking back then, I know this is probably a really loaded question. Like what, like if someone is going through or has come out of the military or is going through some sort of PTSD or they feel they've got PTSD, would you give them, what advice would you give them? Talk, I know this is a common answer, talk to someone, but I would say don't just talk to someone. Talk to someone, one that you can fucking trust and you know that's going to listen, like not just fucking hear you and listen. And number two, maybe speak to someone that can relate. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it, it's like, you know, I, I've, I've spun you how many stories over the years, but can you really relate? Because you can't, because you've never been there. No. Like, you know, no. you, do you know what I mean? So you need to speak you to can, someone that can, can, you can relate. You can empathise. You think. can empathise. You can empathise and maybe but sort it, of... It, for, for me, it helped when I spoke to someone, because this was like my, my, in myself... I didn't feel embarrassed to talk to someone that didn't understand. It was it was easier for me to talk to someone that can then say, give me a story back, like, oh, this happened and that happened. He'd be like, yeah, fucking hell, mate. When I was in Iraq, this happened. Then you kind of then you humor you humorize it. Yeah, yeah, fucking like then that dark humor comes out, and I think that's quite important because that helps. That helps you get through it because you then like will I go like uh, out with Rob, my my mate now. And we go mountain biking a lot. We constantly spinning fucking shit dicks all the time because you, it's that opportunity for you to get it off your chest. Yeah. You know, it's you need that. It's relatable. You need that to get that off your chest. Like, literally be like, oh, do you remember when one of the fucking, or like we were spinning a story the other day about we went to Basra and um, we ended up going to, a, Basra Palace was where the British HQ was and bootnecks being bootnecks, the fucking immature reprobates that we are, we decided to climb onto the, the roof of Basra Palace and get naked. Like, I mean, it's a sniper's dream, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot, imagine, there's a lot of white guys standing on top of a, uh, on the palace, uh, the palace, should we just shoot them from here? I mean, what a stupid fucking thing to do. He stood out like sore thumbs. Do you know what I mean? But we thought it was hilarious. There's like, the top of Basil Palace is like this reddish pink dome. <laughs> Doing doggies up and down this fucking, this, this, the top of Basil Palace, completely bollock naked, finding it hilarious, because that was our, that was our decompression. We'd just driven through Basra, getting pinged at left, right and centre and it like so how do we deal with that? Let's get fucking naked and run around the, the British military HQ. Like, I mean, who the fuck does that? But look, we look back and we're like wetting ourselves laughing yeah. like thinking how funny it was 
And mm. that's how you do it. And we still spin these stories now because that's how you deal with it. You just remember it. You, you know? still feel like you want to talk about it? Embrace the memory. Um, I, I, I enjoy talking about it now. Yeah. Because it, it helps. And you're able to talk Selfishly, about it. it helps. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, and I, I can, and, but I, I, I think I've got to the point in my life now where I can, I can, I now, I think, I like to think that I can use my story to help someone else, even if they're in a different world, and like the, military to armless um, city guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I had a client recently that had a massive meltdown in the city and, it, and like, as soon as we started having our training session, he started telling me and I, like... You know, most people would be like, all right, let's just do some swings and start, let's get your head out of it. I didn't, I put the kit down, went, go and sit down. Let's have a chat. Have a chat. Do you know what I mean? Because I felt like I had the skill set now to help him. Do you know what I mean? But and even he was like, oh, you know, but you know, you've, what you've been through, it's like, what's the relevant? What I've been through is nothing compared to what other military guys have been through. You know what I mean? My stories sound fucking like Peter Pan compared to some lads. You know? But it's fully taking your journey for you yeah. to get there yeah. to understand it instead of feeling like the imposter yeah. anymore. Absolutely. And, and everyone's, everyone's tra- trauma is trauma, isn't it? So it doesn't yeah. matter. You know, you can have trauma from having a child. You can have trauma from going to war. And, you know, I've had guys say to me, literally say to me, I, I couldn't talk to you, mate. I'm like, why? Because of what you've been through. I'm like, that's irrelevant. What you believe is absolutely the lowest of your low and the worst that you can ever go through your life is what you believe is the lowest of your low. It's irrelevant what I think. My lower, my lower might seem to you even worse, but in your head, you're the fucking rock bottom. But you telling your story, I think, helps, doesn't it? Because it, 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 it's, it's, it gets it out there. I think, it, I think it's I... the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to just talk about it. Hmm. I'm not shy to sit there and, and talk about it, and I think that's where some military guys need... To, what a lot of military guys don't seem to realise, that them actually coming out and talking about it will help other people. It takes, I mean? a, it takes a lot, I think, to be mindful enough and self-aware enough to think to yourself, actually, that's, that's not right. Mm. And I think that's the first round of the ladder in it. And it takes a lot to get to that point. Yeah. It's right. accepting it. That was the hardest bit. <clears throat> that was literally the hardest bit. It's like, you know, I put my hands up and going, I know. And I, I think for me, I think, I, I don't know, I know, you know, my thoughts on social media, but I, I remember thinking to myself, if I put this out on social media, I've kind of put it in fucking stone now, haven't I? And I put a post, I think it was me in my uniform and it was something like, my name's Glenn and I have PTSD. Do you know what I mean? And I remember doing that thinking, once I've put that out there, and I'm not a fan of social media for those that know that I'm not, but I thought if I put that out there, you know, I've, it's, it's, out in the fucking, it's out in the universe now, isn't it? I think it's really like the nice way to round it up as well, like you being able to talk about it and help other people, like that's a good place to be in for you, isn't it? It's, it's, it yeah, it is. It's nice because it's like... Um, and I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning this, but when we, me and Will had a little chat a few years ago, didn't we? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember saying to you, like, just fucking, you having a shit day, ring me. Mm. It doesn't matter whether you believe that my days have been worse than your days, or it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if you're having a shit day, talk to someone about it. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I believe that's where your life experience comes in, because I'm older, I've been through a lot in my life. You know, I've made a lot of fucking stupid mistakes in my life, which I wish I could change. But the one thing it has given me is the ability to be able to listen to someone and maybe give them advice. It doesn't mean it's the right advice, but at least I can give them a different perspective on something. Yeah. And maybe make them go away and think and be like, 
Okay, maybe I could look at that slightly differently. Well, that's it, isn't it? Once you put it out there, you almost feel like you can get a different perspective now mm. as well. So it's just literally just getting it off your chest, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what EBC is all about. I think we're, we're, in a, we're in a world at the minute where anxiety and stress, they seem to be on the increase for an array of different reasons. So, Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get any easier. No. So, you know, airing... Airing some of these things is really important and coming up with strategies to cope with it. Well, you, know. you, you take bloke suicide 300% higher. Ridiculous. It's, 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 it's not acceptable. Do you know I mean? Because there's still this bloke stigma. It makes you weak. And I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I think men should be men. Like that, you know, like, I do think we have a certain role in this fucking world. We are naturally born fighters. We should be able to protect our family and all that kind of stuff. I think that's what men should be. But... We are also human and like, you know, and things will affect you in life that are gonna like detri be a detriment to you. And I do think you, uh, holding it in is not good. You gave a, uh, I'm not gonna point. <laughs> you gave me an, uh, uh, an analogy and I still use to this day, which I think is really good. Like emotions are like a bottle of Coke, right? If you shake it up, it's building up pressure, isn't it? Now at some point you keep shaking it, that fucking bottle's gonna burst. If you get that cap and you just slowly release that pressure, it doesn't, it doesn't overflow, does it? No. You know, and that's a really good analogy. That actually comes from... Fuck! They came from Sweden. That's twice, don't it? That, that, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, but it just that makes sense, doesn't it? Like, and, yeah. and, and, and as a bloke, we don't want to talk about it, but you've got to talk about it, because it, actually, in the long run, take it from my personal... It's going to fuck your head up. Yeah. There's one for you, mate, as well. I listen to some of the, some of the stories that you don't like telling... Now, I only heard like a couple. Though I found it really interesting. One, like some of the things you come out with and that. But do you feel like having a business kind of linked loosely to sort of like the military and training? Do you think that helps you or not? It gave me purpose. But the the, the big thing that it re that EBC really gave me was um, no, not gave me as such, but. Like for the first first time that I really noticed that we were making a difference and it, it helped me internally and I didn't realise it at the time was when we used to first have our first Christmas parties many, many years ago, 10 years ago and people would come up to me and go, thank you. I'm like, what for? I'm like, oh, because of you, I'm not an antidepressant or mm. I feel better in myself or... It wasn't I, I look in the mirror and I think I look like a chiseled god. It was, it was I, I feel better in myself. And, and that was like, that's, that was powerful. Yeah. That was powerful. That to me was like fucking hell. Like that made me feel better. You know, so, so me helping others was helping me. That's huge. And that was, that was really beneficial. That's huge. Absolutely you know huge. I mean? and, all, and all in at the end of the day, that's, we've said this on, the other, on another podcast as well, like that's for us is what it was all about, is trying to help people through either a tight sp mm. space or... They're having a tough time, you know, getting out and training was all part of it. But if it wasn't for EBC, I don't know. I'd like, you know, I don't, I don't. It's hard to say even if I'd be here, because I had some fucking shitty day, dark days. Do you know what I mean? And it, like, you know, that it, it's hard to talk about. But I, when I knew I had a session to do, up to do, and I knew I didn't, it wasn't like a one to one. I knew I had twenty or thirty people there relied on me. And I knew they were going to turn up from a long day in the office and they were going to be in a shitty mood. And they needed me to bring them out of that yeah, shitty place. Yeah. I had to fucking pull my finger out my ass, And that was hard. There were days, and I'm sure there's people that maybe watched this that knew me from 10 years ago and probably would be like, oh, I can remember him turning up like a dickhead. 
Like, but I like, I'm human. Um, I'm not a fucking performing monkey. I will turn up to sessions and be like, I really don't want to be here. Or it's so right difficult. Now. So difficult. But I could see their faces. They get out of the car. And I'm, like, I'm like, right, guys, let's go. So difficult you know, to switch but that off. The, the irony of it is, is I'd feel probably slightly better when I left. Yeah. Because I've helped them. Yeah. You know, and then I'd crack on. It's like, right, another day. Tomorrow I've got another session to focus on. And I was just taking one day at a time and looking at the sessions. Some days I wouldn't even get out of the van, would I, you said? That's such a good way of looking you at know? it. That's, so, that's such a good way of rationalising it for yourself. Like, but yeah, because you know, people that are sitting there thinking to themselves, oh, Glyn, these sessions are really hard. Don't, you're taking, <laughs> out, taking it out of them. You don't, you don't realise. You don't realise sometimes. I wasn't going to turn up and go, no, no. listen, no. I'm having a bit of a shit, right? <laughs> right? So when I really thrashed the fuck out of you, bear with me, I'll be all right in a minute. No, yeah. no I'd fucking play a game. Performing monkeys, you know. Yeah. And then sometimes I'd go back to the little pokey flat I lived in at the time, and it like massive come down, sleep tablets, trying to go to sleep, which didn't do fuck all. You know, it was like drinking night nurse. It was going out of fashion. It was a joke. You know, but no one ever saw that. But it gave me purpose. And then we started employing people, and that really helped because then you'll see people start to make a living or a business out of something that you, you know, were yeah. creating. And something that you just borderline just about fucking managed to drag through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would be an interesting insight for some people as well. Like from back then, back at the start as well, when we were doing line share of the sessions, that insight would be really interesting for people to listen to because people people never look at it from that. They've turned up for a training session, mm. and they'll never look at it from that. And they don't they don't need to. No, and they don't need to. I still say that now. That's not their business to me. Like but that. it's really interesting, no. and it's like a really honest kind of like view. I think of what was going on but it helped you know? me from a selfish perspective and ma- still massively does, it, it still does today. massively it does today. 100%. 100% I've had a tough day forget it for an hour and just go because it's enjoyable because it's enjoyable it yeah it is so the next... it is hard because when your mem- members are in a shitty mood and they give you shit back and you, sometimes you think <laughs> so the next time basically the next time you get an absolute shooing at a section a session even just bear in mind that the instructor might have had a bit of a bad day yeah <laughs> you know I usually <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we'll oh, dear. <laughs> that was a burpee. Yeah. 30 seconds. Really good go. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it's um yeah, I know, it's it's mad, isn't it? But uh, I I've listen, I talk about it a lot now, I spin I spin fucking stories about it now and I openly talk about it because it, it's it's you know, it's uh it's how I deal with it now. It makes it makes my life slightly more comfortable, I think, to be able to openly talk about it. And but, but the funny thing is people I think when they're listening to this and thinking that they're going to hear loads of war stories and stuff, but it, for me, it wasn't always about that. Do you know what I mean? There's loads of, there's loads of things that... It's like we go back to the beginning. It's the anxiety of, of everything I always think was the worst part. And I, I'll spin a story that I've, I've said before to give you a bit of, of contrast of what I mean by fucking anxiety. So we were driving through, um, through Iraq one day and we were at, I'm, st- I'm basically stood behind a machine gun out the top of a vehicle, so basically my hips upwards out the top of it. We're doing a convoy, coming out to a village called Alkerno, I believe it was, and it was notorious for every time you drive through it, getting into a contact. I could just see Johnny Bravo behind a machine gun. <laughs> basically, yeah. I wasn't going to bring Johnny Bravo God, up into this. When he, said, when, he said, when he said triangle, I was like, I want to say it, I want to say it, so but I'm not. So we're, driving, so we're driving through, coming up to this village, and, and straight away, over the radio, it, it, someone would say, just to let you know, we're driving into the village, and it was notorious for getting into a contact or an IED. 
So we drive down this road once, and I've, I remember it like it's yesterday, and then I was top cover with this other guy. And as we got close to this village, the lad that was with me, he's only a young lad, and the day before, he was in a vehicle, got hit by an IED, and he just sat down. And I was like, the fuck are you? And I looked down, he was sat down there, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. His arse went. And like typical Marine Mentales, get your fucking ass up here now. And I was a lot more older and experienced than him. Get your ass up here now and stand next to me. Can't, can't, can't. Fuck me, it's me on my own then, isn't it? And I'm the rear vehicle in this long convoy. Right, so everything behind me is a threat. Every vehicle behind me is a threat. And in the military, there's a thing called a combat indicator. So if you're driving through a village every single day and it's busy and busy and busy, and one day you drive through that village and it's empty, combat indicator, something's about to fucking kick off. Because they would tell the villagers, usually. So we're driving down this road, and I'm in the rear vehicle, so I'm looking backwards, right? And the traffic, there's traffic behind me. And this car comes weaving all through the traffic, and literally stops and blocks all the traffic, and gets out, straight on his phone. I was like, ah, well that's not a fucking good sign, is it? Even now the hairs and the hairs and back go up. It's, he stopped all the traffic, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, something's gonna happen. Because he's not allowing any local traffic now. No. He's got in his vehicle, he's driven like he's driven all the way round the side and he's come down the side road from the distance and I've watched him and he stopped going on his phone. I'm thinking he's making a fucking phone call. Why would he stop all the traffic? I'm on the radio just to let you know the vehicle's come through, stop the traffic. And then the traffic coming the other way is all stopped. Yeah. Right, it's ambush. I'm just like, fuck. Mate, I fucking, I shit myself. I'm stood out the top of the vehicle. There's, there's, there's nothing you can do. You are literally waiting for it to go off. That level of anxiety is, is on another level. And, and what I did was, I remember thinking to myself, we're either gonna get fucking in the contact or more than likely gonna get hit by an IED. That's more likely what's gonna happen. So I remember, I remember all that's going through my head is, well, there's nothing over that side of the road as we're driving down, but that's this side of the road. That's probably where they're gonna put it. And I had a body armor on at the time, and the old body armor had a plate about the side of a fucking cigarette packet. It's pointless, right? But anyway, so I remember standing there, I shouldn't fucking laugh about it, right? But the vehicle, and I'm and all I remember doing is tucking my arms in, turning my back to the side, and I'm stood there watching the traffic, still keeping my eyes on the traffic behind, but tuck my arms in like that, and I'm thinking, well, if it goes off, at least I might save my arms. And that's all I'm thinking. I'm just stood there going, right, well, I'm gonna just wait here then, and I. So I've got my rifle in my hands, I'm stood there like that, watching the traffic backwards, I just went, right, just wait for it to go. Wait for it to go. And I remember it, and it was literally making me feel really fucking weird thinking about it now. And we drove through this village and nothing fucking happened. And because of that, because of what had happened, they had to send a search party out to go check that road. So when we got to our destination, they sent a couple of vehicles out to go check the road. They found four 120 shells, which were about this fucking big, dug into the ground, all linked up by a daisy chain, so it's basically linked one, 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 yeah. two, three, four. But the fuse had come out on the first one. So the only, re so basically what he was waiting to do was set the off, it would have gone bang, 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 as we'd drawn down the road, it would have fucking obliterated us. But the fuse had come out, so it never went off. And wow. you're just like, ah, fucking hell. It's crazy, isn't it? Go to bed, wake up the next day, what you gotta do? Drive back down the same fucking road. And that's in the back of your head. But that was, that, and then that was, it was like that every day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like every day. And the same, and the same. You can't, for, you can't condition for stuff like no. that. Like. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a, another funny story. We were driving in, this was in Afghanistan. We were driving through this fucking desert. <laughs> fucking hell. Oh. And we were driving, we had an interpreter with us, right? Up the fucking interpreters. 
and we were weaving, we had a Wimix, which was just basically a Land Rover with no windows, doors, and just loads of guns on it. And it was just, we were driving through this fucking open desert, all these fucking hot, like holes and fucking sand dunes, and we were fucking weaving in and out. And there's this road in the distance, we're heading towards this road, and this local bloke's going like this, like that, and we're like that, hearts and minds, yeah, like waving. And as we get to his, the road, the interpreter, we were like, go and find out what he wanted. So the interpreter gets out and starts talking to the local. This interpreter just went white. Turned around, looked at the fucking, where we just, you could see our tracks. And he just went, we've just driven through a minefield. And me and my mates were just went, fucking laughed and went, oh, and you could see our tracks had driven and where they were slight indents in the fucking sand, where the sand had dropped, where they put anti-tank mines, where the sand, and you could see where we'd driven through it. We were like, ah, oh my word, fucking hell, like we've just avoided all of that. It's quite like ridiculous. That's, that's and that's the, that, and the thing is like, that's the kind of anxiety that a lot of military guys would have to deal with every day. Yeah. Doesn't matter what unit you're in. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's the kind of anxiety and it was, that, that, that's hard to get out of your head. That's hard to decompress from. Yeah. You know, but I laugh about it now. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I think your journey so far has been absolutely phenomenal and to be able in a position now where you feel comfortable enough to talk about it and share that with other people um, is credit to you and where you've been and, man, I think it's phenomenal. Thanks, I think it's phenomenal, mate. Yeah. No, it's been a night, mate. It's, it's, it's a journey, isn't it? Everyone's got one. Yeah. Everyone's got one. I think, I think as well, like, if you can get to a point, similar to what Wes is saying, if you can get to a point where any form of, like, help or counselling, I think you're just understanding yourself a little bit better. Mm understanding your life yeah. and where you've got to up until this point and if you can understand and you're all right with you know what, what's gone on some of it's not very nice but if you're all right about with it what happened and that you get to that space i don't I think, think you'll, i don't i don't well, see my dad said this to me once bless his heart and he said do you think you'll do you think you'll ever what did he say do you ever think you'll get over it or do you and i went i was like it's not a fucking disease dad it don't just go away like i still i still to this day have really struggling days like like and I, I don't mind admitting it like everyone does but i there are days when i just really struggling like i do i do question my my purpose i do question if i'm good enough mm. you know because i think especially when you've been on a high pedestal sorry high that sounds really arrogant not a pedestal but when you when you like get to quite a high level of the military and for those that are listening i haven't made it to the fucking pinnacle of everything but i was quite high up i think in the marines i think most would admit I, I still question to my day, to this day, like, have I, have I still done anything? Am I good enough? Do you know what I mean? I still, I still struggle. I still struggle with my self-worth quite a lot. When I exercise, you know, uh, that's, I think that's probably why I train so fucking hard. Because I'm, I'm, I, it's like I'm still trying to prove something to myself. Yeah. It's probably not necessarily a good thing, but I don't know what else to do with it. Do you know what I mean? Exercise for me is an absolute necessity. Yeah. Like, like not just... Not just like to be fit, as we were saying in a previous conversation, but it's I, I have I have to do it mentally. I have to. It's my self worth. I right. have to know that I'm still good enough good to enough. push myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also, know? I think, you think it's really important as well. Like you've developed a bit of a an interest with you know the cycling side of things and some of the downhill stuff. That's really important, isn't it? To have something that's like complete. You're not trying to achieve anything there in terms of fitness. No, like, that's no, really important. Mountain biking is just an opportunity to do. You don't think about anything yeah, else yeah. other than it's important. fucking tree at 30 mile an hour. That's, you just like put yourself somewhere you can get yeah, hurt, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you are definitely a, a, a thrill seeker, aren't you? Yeah, but it, do you know what it is? It's, 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 
one of the reasons I love doing it is one, because you don't think about it. I love learning something new. Like I said to you earlier, you're never old enough to learn something new. Yes, massive. Like I know, like Will might be 20 years younger than me, but I, I'll happily learn something more from Will. If he's got something to teach me, teach me, I'll learn it. I'm not arrogant enough to think that. Yeah. Mountain biking was a new skill which I enjoyed learning. And you can't think about anything else other than a, a mountain like that at 30, 40 miles an hour and try not to fall off. But yeah, you're, for, you're forced to be present, aren't you? Absolutely. You're, you're, in, you're in that moment. And then I'm doing it with someone who, you know, I've been ambushed with, with Rob. Do you know what I mean? So we can still spin these fucking silly stories literally up a mountain. Ambushed in jokes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we won't go down. No, your mum wasn't out of time. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> On that bombshell. On that yeah. bombshell. Probably finish it there, shall we? Yeah. Guys, uh, thank you, Glenn, for sharing your story. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And please, if you are out there and you need someone to talk to, we're always here to talk to you. But please, please, please reach out to someone, talk to them, um, and message me. Message Glenn. Message me. I've yeah. got a problem with that. Absolutely. And, and vice for me. I'll always, always be open to having a chat with people. But Guys, thank you very much for listening. And we'll Cheers, call it boys. there. Awesome. What well up, mate?